The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. You know, the alcoholic does not understand their true predicament, right? Like the new person, when they first get here, they don't really understand their true predicament. There's two predicaments really to understand. And the first one is important when you're first here, which is understanding the illness and why we pick up and, you know, understanding the spiritual malady that drives the obsession. And then once we put it in our bodies, we're on a spree and we don't really know when we are going to stop. Because we're not drinking to escape, even though that's why I put the substance in my body. I wanted to escape myself and you and everybody else. But I'm no longer drinking to escape once I put it in my bloodstream. I'm drinking to overcome a physical craving in my body that I have no fucking control about. And that will fucking go as long as it goes until I fucking hit another bottom sufficient enough to maybe promote change. And, you know, the new guy comes back to the room and doesn't hear the message, isn't really willing. Maybe he's getting sober on circumstances. You know, people are fucking judging him. Maybe he's losing his wife. Maybe people are pressuring him. So then he comes back and he's on the circumstantial recovery train. You know, getting sober on circumstances. And circumstantial recovery has about fucking six month to 18 month shelf life. You know, but eventually because they're not really working the program, the insanity returns and they drink again, or they use drugs again, and then it starts all over again. But there's another predicament, right? The, the Actually, the one that's the most important. And I think the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, a lot of these rooms, they focus on what we just talked about, the substance. They don't really talk about the true predicament, the real problem. And so a guy will get some time in, six months, eight months, maybe even he'll get a year, right? It's not likely they'll get a year if they're not working this program. That's the fucking truth. But even if they do, the rooms and the people around them are always like patting them on the ass and saying, fucking good job, man. Good job. You're on your way. Yeah, they're on their way. They're on their way to a fucking relapse is where they're on their way to because they haven't understood the real fucking truth of this predicament. 
And a lot of guys don't really want to look at that truth because they see all these other people doing some of this work and it's like pretty drastic stuff, man. You hear some of these people sharing and you're not even close to there. You're like, holy shit, I got to do that. I got to do that. Fuck, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm not going to drink anymore and I think I'm pretty good. So then they don't do what's required and the problem is the insanity returns because they're running their own life on what they think is best, their own, their own self, and the insanity returns. It talks about in that step one, you know, as we succumb to the desire again. Succumbed means I will fail to resist. Even though I, I know that what's going to happen, I might be in the psych ward, I might fucking lose my family, people are going to be disappointed, I'm going to be disappointed, my kids aren't going to have a dad, but I can't remember in that mental blank spot. It's not sufficient enough to tell me to not pick up the drink. So I succumb to the desire again, which is the real powerlessness. And if you live in the spiritual malady and you're living in self, you pick up a drink again. That's just the way it goes. So fucking, that's the facts. You know, and for the real deal, alcoholic addict, you got two choices. And I've seen this through my own life and I've seen this through the sponsorship. And why I talk like this is because I've sponsored so many fucking people, like hundreds, and I see this to be absolutely true. That you either pick up this kit of spiritual tools laid at your feet or you die an alcoholic death. Not easy alternatives to face. Who wants to fucking do drastic house cleaning? Who wants to fucking tell their sponsor about what's going on in their marriage and in their sex life and their fucking work life? Who wants to fucking be rigorously honest with somebody else? Nobody. Because we've been taught to fucking just do it ourselves. And, and you know, we want to hide that guilt and that shame and that stuff from other people because we're worried that they're going to judge us because we need that little bit of validation. And the problem is, is that you never hide it. You can lie to yourself and you can lie to your fellow human being, but you can't lie to the creator that exists inside of you. And if you don't deal with that shit at some point, that shit will deal with you and you'll be back out there fucking drunk and high or you'll be at the jumping off point because your substance doesn't work anymore. But you can't not use it because you need the relief. So then the fucking rope off a rafter sounds like a fucking good idea. And the more that you live in those thoughts, the more that rope on a rafter sounds like a better idea because there's no hope. The hopeless alcoholic's life. Right? So understanding that predicament and understanding step one will give you more acceptance for step two because there's, re there's a reason we need God. And the, the reason isn't just because I want to feel philosophically comforted like a lot of Bibles and books and shit just make people feel all warm and fuzzy and shit. That's more of a theoretical God. Praying in the morning, praying at night, fucking, oh, Jesus saved me. I'm going to go do some confessions and stuff. That's all fine and dandy, and that's great. That might work for somebody that's normal. And it doesn't even work for fucking them because they absolve themselves through confession most of the time and think that they're fucking forgiven. But they don't really change their behavior, so they fucking still punish themselves over time. The thing about fucking what we do is God works in and through you. And you can't lie to yourself anymore. Because if we lie to ourselves, we'll fucking drink. So I want to read something here. It comes out of step three in the 12 and 12. So how exactly can the willing person continue to turn his will and his life over to his higher power? He made a beginning, we have seen, when he commenced to rely upon AA for the solution of his alcohol problem. 
That's really what AA does. Bill W., I'm reading Bill W.'s own writing. He wrote that AA solved the alcohol problem. And that's what AA does. A lot of people can come into the program, do a set of steps, and fucking be sober for a little while. But this, is, this becomes the real predicament here, what's coming up. But by now, though, the chances are that he has become convinced that he has more problems than alcohol. And that some of these refuse to be solved by the all sheer personal determination and courage he can muster. We can wish to be moral. We can wish to be philosophically comforted. We could will these things with all of our might, but the needed power is not there. We fail and we fail utterly. We have to have God's help in the removal of these defects of character. And most of us experience exactly what I just said. We wanted this, this other version of ourselves, this magical version of what I want to be. But then I'm fucking am what I actually am. And then I can't live up to what I want to be. So I create more guilt, more shame. And I need to fucking drown that out even more. So, like, what the fuck, right? They simply will not budge. They make him desperately unhappy. And they threaten his newfound sobriety. Our friend is still victimized by remorse, guilt, when he thinks of yesterday. Bitterness still overpowers him when he broads up on those envies or hates. His financial insecurities worry him sick. And panic takes over when he thinks of the bridges to safety that alcohol has burned behind him. And how shall he ever straighten out that awful jam that cost him the affection of his family and separated him from them? This lone courage and unaided will cannot fucking do it. Surely he must now depend on something or somebody else. So what the program does is when you follow the exact directions, and the reason we read the original manuscript is because I do it when I sponsor guys, and my, I have huge success rates with sponsees. The average success rate in recovery is two, five out of 100 in the programs make it to a year, two and a half make it to five years. My success rate, and this is, this is just to prove like what the big book says, my success rate is six or seven out of 10 stay sober. The big book says that 50% got sober at once, 25% with some relapses, and the other 25% had a better quality of life. And in that original manuscript, it says, if you want what we have and you're willing to follow directions. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. <coughs> In step 10, they left it in there in the fourth edition. It says, if you have followed directions carefully, you will felt the flow of his spirit into you. To some extent, you have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. But we must go further and that requires more action. Of which the next step is step 11, which suggests prayer and meditation. Better men than us have been using it constantly. It works when we have the proper attitude and work at it. Well, what's the attitude? It doesn't mean I just fucking have the attitude of just moving forward and just doing this. It's the attitude of God. The most profound result of all is the change in your attitude towards God. God is no longer a Bush League pinch hitter. I've learned today that I deprive myself of his help when I don't call on him. Because I still have a lot of self-reliance and I'm scared to step from bridge to shore. But it's through the stepping of bridge to shore and trying something that I haven't tried. 
And that's all learned in the fucking disciplines of your step six understanding. Going into life and when you're fucking dishonest, you fucking correct that right now no matter what the cost is. When you're fucking presented with lust, you fucking pick up the phone and you do something different. When you're presented with anger, you pick up the phone, you either then you or you bite your tongue. Sometimes true tolerance has to start with tolerate. But it's about willingness, right? First you gotta be aware. Am I aware? Without awareness, the willingness doesn't fucking matter. So awareness has to be first and foremost. Through the awareness, the willingness now takes top priority. What am I willing to do? Am I willing to fucking sell my soul for that fucking relationship still? Am I willing to sell my fucking truth for that relationship, for that job, for that fucking interaction? Am I spending my whole life trying to avoid conflict with other people because I don't want to be in conflict? But the problem is, is you never avoid conflict when you try to avoid conflict. Because the conflict within your own head is fucking tenfold. And then we're living in self and we're trying to manipulate the fucking world to make me happy again because I can't handle what's going on. So then I go and buy the car. I get the woman. I do these things. But it doesn't solve it. It's an inside job. And the only way you can do it is through working the steps. And I've studied like a lot of other spiritual disciplines. There's nothing in the world that has the step four and five, step 10 stuff that this program has. No Bible, no Buddha, no Krishna, no nothing. The big book has it all, man. And it has it fucking deeper. It was funny. Me and my girlfriend were talking last night. She's not an alcoholic or addict, but she's spiritual. So she always talks to me about these spiritual books that she reads, right? So she hands me one called The Alchemist. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm looking at this cover and I noticed it's a really spiritual cover. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, fuck, that looks like the AA circle and triangle. And then I'm kind of looking at, I bet, I'm like, I bet you, because what I've learned over the years is a lot of these spiritual teachers in our society, they were fucking alcoholics and addicts and they fucking got launched into a fourth dimension and they wanted to carry this to more people. So they did it in a way that wasn't like exactly AA. So I'm looking at this and I had a gut feeling. I'm like, I bet you this guy was an alcoholic. So I fucking start Googling, Googling this guy. Sure enough, I didn't find that he was in AA, but I found all this evidence of all these books that he wrote and it all ties right back to AA. I fucking, I'm sure this guy was in Alcoholics Anonymous or some type of 12-step fellowship because that's what takes you to the fucking next level. That's what takes you to the promised land is the inventory. Sitting in prayer and meditation is great, but without the inventory and, and a, looking at yourself in a deep and meaningful sense, and become willing to fucking change and unlearn the things that you've learned that hold you in the box that keep you getting drunk. Because it's not about coming here and learning anything, right? It's about unlearning shit. You know, it's not like, it's not what you don't know that's going to kill you. So a lot of people come here because they don't know. It's not what you don't know that's going to kill you. It's what you think you know for sure, but it's just not true. We had to let go of our old ideas absolutely or the result was nil. And that's so true. So all this stuff as we fight through these challenges that are actually teaching us and healing us, the fights of step six, the fights of learning how to turn it over and the pain and the humiliation that would drive us to drink, we now get the relief from God and we fight through it with our pillars and our creator in this book. And then we get to this place down the road, which is the step seven humility. 
We don't need to be bludgeoned and beaten into humility anymore. It can come from our voluntary reaching for it as it can come from unremitting suffering. But it did say gaining a new perspective in humility was unbelievably painful. It was only by repeated humiliations at the end of a long fucking road marked by successive defeats of self and humiliations that we were forced to learn something more about humility than a condition of groveling despair. So we learn and we get our perspective changed. And once you're over this hump, you know it. Like you just know, okay, I fucking do have a desire. But it doesn't mean that you do it like saint-like because you're never going to do it like a saint. It's just the best possible attitude that you can take on this beginning of this, this new way of life. And it happens somewhere in that first year or two if you're working a solid program. There's a lot of guys with a lot of time in that this has never happened for. Which is why in the book it says, To be willing to work for humility takes most of us a long, comma, fucking long time. In that step seven also, it talks about, in AA we looked, we listened. Everywhere we saw pain and misery transformed by humility, humiliation and pain into priceless assets. So the pain and humility, humiliation actually produce priceless assets. But we don't know it when we're going through it. And nothing makes sense. Like Michael said, part of his share, he, he's, he's having a hard time articulating, but he knows it. But to fucking say how this works, because God's an experience. God really can't be articulated and like he was having trouble and I have the same trouble. But the, the, this admission price is purchased more than we expected. It brought a measure of humility. Step seven, humility. I got to go through the other phases first that we soon discovered to be the healer of pain. So I don't fear shit anymore. We begin to fear pain less and desire real humility more than ever. In that reading that was read by Jason, it talked about uh, to get away from our aversion to the idea of humility being humble. So what the word aversion actually means, it means an intense dislike for. So a lot of people attune humility to humbleness. But Bill W. himself, who wrote this, said, let's get away from our aversion to the idea of humility meaning being humble. He's like, let's take this to mean the true freedom of the human spirit. So he's saying, get rid of that idea. Let's take it up a fucking notch. Let's take this to the fucking people and let's help them. Let's work with love. Let's pack into the stream of life. Let's forget about our lives and let's fucking surrender in an overly slavish way. And surrender in overly slavish means without original thought or ideal for myself. I act in love without original thought or ideal for me. Without reservation, as the book says. Trying to get to this place where we act in love without reservation. But you have to go through the processes to get there. Because honestly, our solution is worked in the spiritual and altruistic plane. And the altruistic plane is where we self-sacrifice our motives and our time for other people with no expectation at all. 
And part of self-sacrifice is understanding my motives and sacrificing my anger, sacrificing my lust, sacrificing. And at first, I'm just sacrificing it because I'm told to and I don't want to fucking go drink again. But down the road, you actually sacrifice that because you fucking care about that person and you know that that's going to be no good for their life. And it's not even a thought. You just do it unselfishly for the benefit and well-being of other people. So... If you're new or you're struggling, you're coming back, you've got a problem with drugs or alcohol or life, you know, you're in the right place. This is where we get her done, but we don't get her done by sitting on our asses doing fuck all, right? There's work to do. There's willingness and awareness and all the other principles. Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.